Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Acts and the works of Jesus through his people and in his kingdom. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining Vanessa and me in conversation today are Mary Carraza and Katie Driver. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It is our privilege. It is fun to see your pretty faces sitting across the table. And I was thinking when I asked y'all, to come on the podcast together, I hadn't thought about the fact that you have so much in common. So you're both healthcare professionals. You're both avid students of nutrition. You are both voracious readers and you are both uh, students of God's word. And I've had conversations with both of you in all of those categories that I've really benefited from. And so I'm looking forward to our conversation. Mm, me too. Thank you. Together today. Yeah, I'm excited to hear from these ladies too. Um, as is our tradition, we will start with our first things first question. I'm going to ask that you would tell us a little bit about yourselves and jump right into our first things first question, which is when was the first time you learned to ski and what was it like? Okay, so I'm Katie Driver, married to Chris, and we have two kids, Ethan and Sarah, and Ethan is a senior in high school, so we're wrapping up his high school career. It is crazy. It's hard to believe. And Sarah is a sophomore this year. Um, But okay, so skiing. Unfortunately, in my 48 years, there has only been a first and second time that I have gone skiing, which is um, water skiing is a different story. But my parents snow skied a lot before they had kids, but not really so much afterwards. So my first ski trip was to snowshoe in Virginia with my family when I was probably in the eighth or the ninth grade. And I loved it. I love outdoor adventures, but I am also pretty cautious. So there was a lot of snow plowing involved. Um, But I did get much better as the week went on. However, I was genuinely terrified from the beginning to the end of getting off the lift. Just terrified. I never fell, but I was just certain I was going to (laughs) scared when you were like on the lift going up. Not so much. It was a getting off the transition. It's going to knock you flat. Completely face, freaked me out. I think I was just afraid of being humiliated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm Mary Carraza, also married to Chris, but different Chris. And um, we you have, have four children. <laughs> yes, we have that in common too. Oh, true. Oh, my goodness. Good. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that would have been weird. <laughs> um, even more in common. Um, anyways, uh, we have four children. Joy is nine, Evangeline seven, Caleb is five, and Kit is two. And I've never actually been snow skiing. I've been water skiing, no snow skiing. Um, but winter activities, I did ice skate a few times. And um, probably the most memorable time that I remember um, was, I think, my senior year of high school. Ironically, it was during the summer, I didn't endure ice rink but um it was fun and i was really into michelle kwan a few years before that (laughs) and various (laughs) olympic figure skaters and i had um several years of ballet under my belt so i was a little um ambitious (laughs) and then i had a bruise to remind me of it for probably the next three months it was a very long last can you tell us what you were trying to pull off I, I don't really remember, but I do remember my backside was on the ice real quick. It's one thing to visualize so, it in your mind or to yes. get ballet shoes on. Until I fell, it felt like Michelle Kwan. <laughs> but then 
I don't know, maybe she's fallen before, probably, and it probably felt similar. <laughs> got good stories. You know, it's always the battle that. scars that yeah. make for the good stories. That's, it's, that's, it's right. that's right. That's right. Um, like you, I will. I, I have zero experience skiing. Um, mm. But being in St. Louis for 25 years, my daughters always had always had a snow ski trip. Um, annually. And so, and it was just this little powder snow place that we went to once a year for their snow skiing. And so, but that's, that's the extent of my experience. I do like going to places that um, off season where um, generally there's snow skiing happening. Like I love Vail, um, but I'll go to Avon outside of Vail and maybe and catch some hiking <laughs> when it's nicer out. So that's more mm-hmm. of my speed than skiing. Do you hike it when the snows? Yeah, miss me with the snow, yes. and and then let's go for a hike and and yeah, explore God's country. Love that. Mm. <laughs> that is pretty country. Out yes, of yes, yes. Well, my story on skiing. I grew up in Indiana, and I didn't have any experience with skiing either until I moved to Colorado, okay. Estes Park, Colorado. And I was going to a small Bible school out there and some friends took me skiing at Breckenridge and they had all been skiing before, but I hadn't. And I don't know if I just thought, how hard can it be? (laughs) I mean, I'm sure I was scared on the ski lift. I don't know. I didn't take a lesson. Nobody, somebody had to obviously show me how do you put boots on and click them in. (laughs) And we really, we went to the top of a, of a blue, I mean, not a black. So I mean, it wasn't that serious, but it definitely wasn't the bunny hill or even a green. And they just went. And, and I remember thinking, oh okay, here I go. And, and, and I thought, oh, here I go. And you know, just keep thinking that speed. And I remember just sitting down on my rump and just sliding. And, and here I was in Bible school and feeling very spiritual. And the words that were coming out of my mouth would not have been conducive with what was expected at Bible school. I stayed on my hinder the whole way down that, that mountain. Funny. And um, never really picked it up. I always was a little bit unstable. And I, and I put that down to poor instruction. I didn't have the confidence. Lack of teaching. Yeah, <laughs> lack of teaching. Yes. Yes. Out there. Right. No instruction. Well, you know, changing course, but making a connection. One of our goals for our women's ministry in this podcast is to come alongside of you as you study God's word so that you aren't alone or sliding down spiritually uh, with no idea how, how to correct uh-huh. yourself or direct yourself or where, what you're supposed to do. You know, we're wanting to help one another not only understand what we're reading, but to apply it healthfully to our lives. Acts, which we are studying this season on the podcast, our women at First Presbyterian Church are also studying it in their various Bible studies. It's a long and rich it book. Is. Yes. Isn't it? Yeah, it's long. Uh, it's a second half, actually, of an account that physician, a physician named Luke, who was a traveling companion of Paul, he put together for the benefit of a man named Theophilus. And in the first part of Luke's account, that's found in the Gospel of Luke, he expressly states his purpose for writing. And he says, it seemed good to me, having followed all things, and those things being the words and works of Jesus, followed those things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Mm -hmm. So Luke's writing this, wanting to make sure that Theophilus is not, so to say, skiing through the life of faith timidly Mm -hmm. uh, with destabilizing uncertainty, but with confidence and the steadiness Mm -hmm. that comes from being certain of the truth that he's been taught. So Mm -hmm. in giving this certainty to Theophilus, Luke gives it to us as well. As we study Acts, we're going to be assured that what we've been taught about Jesus is true, and this truth will change our lives. 
If you're just listening to the podcast, it's helpful to know that our women are using as a supplement a Bible study by George Robertson and Mary Beth McGreevy. And if you listened to our intro lesson, you heard Mary Beth McGreevy got to know her a little bit. So fun. Isn't she fun? She's Mm -hmm. real fun. And then what inspired her to write this and how she went about writing it and George's connection with all of that. You do not obviously have to have that lesson in order to be listening to us on the podcast, but we want to encourage you to keep in mind that because we are following along with that study, there's 24 lessons in that book. Not only as mm. Acts long, but our Bible says yes. long, long and yes. rich, yes. deep and good. Mm. And we're going to highlight every even lesson, two, four, six, et cetera. And so the chunks of Acts that we're going to be talking about on this podcast are going to be spread out a little bit. It won't be a problem for you listening because we're going to tie it in every time we come on. We're going to connect you with where we were last time. It'll be easy to follow along, but just keep that in mind. And most importantly, we want you to be reading Acts right. as you go along. If you listen to mm-hmm. us, read the scripture because it's more important than what we have to say about it. Just real quick, Mary Beth was with us, which I just said, mm-hmm. Vanessa, because if people are kind of tuning in for the first time or getting ready to study, maybe they've listened to Mary Beth, maybe they haven't. What were some of the highlights that's important to know from her or from your own study about the book of Acts? Yeah, I just love what you were saying, even about the certainty that Luke is wanting us to have. And I think that's what makes it such a good book for skeptics, actually, and for unbelievers. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's. Um, it's that certainty and how Paul, not Paul, it's not Paul. It really is Luke. <laughs> it's Luke who's writing the book of Acts, who really puts us in the soil of New Testament times and with kind of irrefutable facts and places and times when you've got all these rulers, you get, you know, that is Herod as in the, the days of Herod is king of Judea. Those are political leaders that we can verify. So it's like mm-hmm. verifiable fact. And so the yeah. historicity and the certainty with which he writes and his wanting us to pr- wanting to prove it to us really makes it a great book that's accessible for mm-hmm. unbelievers and perhaps skeptics. The book of Acts is just, um, as Mary Beth was sharing with us, is about, uh, it's a continuance of, a continuation of the book of Luke. And what I loved that she points out to us is that Luke talks about in the book of Luke, uh, kind of the acts of Christ uh, in his humanity and, uh, you know, his his birth, his life. Um, And then it picks up on still Christ at work in his church by his spirit. And that's Mm -hmm. what we see throughout the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Acts is a pretty meaty study. Uh, If you pick the book up, it's got a lot of heft to it. And so I think some people may have been a little concerned with the amount of heft to this book, but talk to me a little bit about what did you think initially? How did you feel when you learned that we were studying this book of Acts, just 28 chapters in a semester, 24 chapters in the Bible study? Talk to me about that. Well, I was excited. Great. Um, my first thought was, oh, Acts again, because um, my dad's an <laughs> army chaplain and we moved oh. a lot. And several different occasions he had, um, not, not, you don't always have this when you're an army chaplain, but he frequently had a um, chapel responsibilities and regular mm-hmm. preaching. And he loves the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And um, the timing worked out that at least twice, maybe three times in a row in high school, I heard him preach through the book of Acts because we would be one place. And he would preach through the book of Acts and then we'd move. And his only witnesses that he just preached through the book of Acts were all of his children and his new <laughs> congregation did not know that he had just finished. So he just kept recycling the book of Acts for at least two times all the way through, maybe more than that, because he mm-hmm. loves the book of Acts. So I'm very familiar with it in childhood and um, <laughs> uh, the opportunity to really study it, not just listen to sermons, but really mm. study it was 
um, exciting. Should we make sure um, you're not scarred by the book of it? Are you, are you okay? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay, I think good, I'm okay. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's fond memories that I'm uh, rehearsing here. Um, I think I was, um, something I'm hoping to learn from it, um, was just a new and better understanding of how we as a particular church, um, mm. can be how we're to go about obeying Christ and furthering mm-hmm. his kingdom. If that's kind of one of the mm-hmm. trajectories of acts is, you know, it's not all totally new to me, but just what can we glean from it for this particular time and this particular body mm. um, that has application for how we ought to be furthering the kingdom of Christ, just like they were in Acts when it was happening. That is so good. Yeah, so that is good. my first thought. Well, I don't know about you guys, but January usually means slumpsville for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's my yes. least favorite time of the uh, year. And so when I thought about thinking about studying the book of Acts with all of its vigor and enthusiasm, I couldn't help but think about our Christmas tree, which had stopped drinking mm-hmm. water about two weeks before we took it down this past <laughs> Saturday. Before you brought it home, so, which is what happened to ours. Oh, <laughs> oh well, no. it was dry, dry, dry when my guys took it into the backyard on Saturday and lit it mm-hmm. on fire. And I don't know if you guys have ever uh-huh. done that before. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if it's quite legal, but we did it. Um, and it went up in flames. Um So anyway, that became a helpful metaphor for me as I realized that the dryness of that tree prepared it for the fire. Mm. And so I am praying for my own dry desert heart to be easily kindled this semester. That's rich. That is really great image. You know, I thought when when I learned that we were studying it, there is part of me just having been engaged in ministry and um, my husband's been engaged in ministry for a long period of time that could look at acts like, oh yeah, more things we're supposed to learn how to do. And Mm -hmm. I'm tired of the doing. But as I began reading it, that verse, just where Luke says, you know, in in my former book, I wrote about all Jesus began to Mm -hmm. do. And the implication of that is now I'm going to write to you about what he's continuing to do. And it just jumped out to me like, oh yeah, the church is people the kingdom advancing, that is what Jesus is doing. And yes, I'm doing with Jesus, but man, it makes a whole difference, big difference Mm. to me. So to me, it it was wanting to learn what does it look like for Jesus, for the spirit uh, to be doing this work, this kingdom work, and and how do I fit into it? And how does our church fit into it? Uh, was a more exciting way of looking at that for me. You know, the book of Acts starts with the reality of Jesus's resurrection. And it, Luke says that Jesus presented himself to his apostles alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He allowed them to touch him, to put their hands on very fresh scars of his crucifixion. He ate with them. He cooked with them. He taught them. He walked with them. He interacted with them, lived among them. There was no doubt that he was alive in human form, alive amongst them. And then he was taken bodily into heaven. And when he was, he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, uh, the living third person of the Trinity, same in substance, equal in power and glory with Jesus and God the Father, and that the Spirit would dwell with his people, and that it would be through his Spirit that Jesus would continue to do the work of his kingdom on earth. Jesus, in the book of John, where he's talking about his upcoming death, and the, and the apostles don't understand that, but he says, unless I leave, um, I can't send to you this comforter. And I'm sure they could think, I can't think of anything mm-hmm. good about you leaving. Right. 
But the right. fact that Jesus knew that you've experienced me um, mm-hmm. in physical form and your presence, but you're about to experience the indwelling Holy Spirit yeah. and how mm-hmm. intimately close that is. And that just, to me, that the idea of the resurrection and starting the book out with the reality that this is based on the resurrection of the living Christ and the spirit that he sends to us keeps us from entering into acts sort of like with the WWJD bracelet around our wrist. What would Jesus do? <laughs> Jesus is gone. He went up to the air. He left this great example. He told us to build the church. All right. Mm-hmm. So what would he do here? What would he do here? What would he do here? It's not as Ron to ask that question per se, but you could forget what is Jesus doing? Mm-hmm. What am I experiencing? Mm. What do I see? What do I hear? What do I know? Because he is alive and living amongst us. Mm-hmm. So the whole foundation of the church, the call to the Great Commission, they're both based on the reality of Jesus's resurrection. And for y'all, what difference does it make? The reality, the historical reality of Jesus's resurrection. What difference does it make for your life? Mm. Well, I think it means the gospel is true. Yeah. Jesus is who he and who scripture says he is. The Old Testament prophecy is more than just folklore or even a compilation of cultural stories meant to empower a political entity. It means also that his promises are mine to claim. Mm. And I think mostly it means that God is with us and within us, kind of as you were just mentioning, Amber. And that made me think of this idea of the thinness. I don't know if you guys have heard that before. George Robertson talked about that sometimes. Um, I think about the thickness of the temple being torn at the time of the resurrection. And now there is this thinness, this thin space between the separation of heaven and earth. It's almost transparent Mm -hmm. and that it can be experienced. And so you think about those times where you feel that God is just palpably with you. And it's not that at other times that he isn't with us. It's more that just our eyes are opened to see that he's there. And um, there's a, something I read by Craig Robinson on BonhoefferHouse.com. I think I'm saying that right, that I'll read. He said, in, in thin spaces, prayer becomes our natural language. Worship becomes our ordinary posture. And love becomes our instinctive action. Mm-hmm. All because of one reality, we are present to God's presence. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's what it means to me. Well, I appreciate that answer. Even just thinking about how the early church responded and right after Luke talks about the reality of the resurrection, mm-hmm. he talks about the, the fact that they're devoting themselves to prayer and right. to worship and to community and loving and caring for one another and how the resurrection really does bring life mm-hmm. to all three of those areas. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I guess my answer is pretty similar to what we've already said that, um, it's, it makes all the difference. We're just called, it just calls me back to kind of recognizing the world rocking reality that we are all aware of that it really happened in historical space and time mm-hmm. history. Like it's not, um, a metaphor. It's not, um, just sort of a spiritual allegory. He really was resurrected and the power that raised him from the grave is the power that's in all of us Mm -hmm. as believers. And that is just something, I mean, we can kind of, I guess, forget or, um, just the full impact of what that means can be something we take for granted. But, um, I feel like when I stop and ponder that, like we're pondering it in acts, this really, really happened. Um, this is the most amazing thing that we could ever hear. Cause like Katie said, it does, it means the gospel is true. It means God is present with us 
all of his promises in scripture are true and either have been fulfilled or will be fulfilled. And the resurrection is the great um, evidence for that, that we can almost taste and smell and see, especially during those thin times you're talking about, like he's just so good. His spirit within us frequently give, and we experience dry periods and he feels far away, but we frequently get these almost palpable experiences that are, you know, reassuring and reminding. And they're really all based on the resurrection. I mean, if that event didn't actually happen, then all of these things are sort of just in our heads. But it did really happen. And all these experiences that we experience are are real. And so it means um, that all the mundane challenges of our life have meaning because he says they do. Mm -hmm. And it means all the deep suffering of our lives has meaning and is part of what if he did the big thing that, you know, his people for centuries were looking forward to, which was to send a Messiah, have him die sacrificially for us and then be raised, which means we'll all be raised too. Then all the other things that he is bringing his kingdom and all the sad things are going to be untrue and he's making all things new. Then that that's, we just can wonder, is it really happening? And then just look back and see, mm-hmm. oh, that happened. That's real and true. And so all of this is, and so for me, it makes sense of the, the sort of miserable, mundane annoyances and challenges of life and also the deeper sufferings of life. Because just like he said, he's in a Messiah and raise him. Um, he's doing all of that for me and for all of us, making all of those things that don't make sense to us, that hurt really bad, make sense too. And mm-hmm. I mean, the resurrection changes it all. That is, that is absolutely perfect. I don't really have much to add to that. I, I just... Think of the passage when I when um, when you ask the question, um, what does the resurrection mean for our lives? Um, the absence of the resurrection is what's really telling of what it means to our mm. lives, and it's just kind of what mm. you were um, mentioning there, Mary. Um, Paul says, if if there's a, if Christ was not resurrected, then we are of all men most miserable. We're yes. left to our own devices. We're left to our own moralism. We're left to our own strivings. Uh, there's no power for the for living this life without yeah. the resurrection. And I look at how central it was to Luke. Um, you know, he's really wanting to convince us that it was a resurrected Christ who came by many proofs. And he keeps going back to the proofs because what is he proving? He's proving that he is the resurrected Christ. And in proving that, he's proving that his deity, he's proving um, that um, we have power for living because the promise that's associated with the resurrection is that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes Mm -hmm. upon us and we would be um, his witnesses. And um, in his study notes, Pastor Robertson picks up on that. And he emphasizes the absolute need for the Spirit's empowerment for both evangelism and the whole of the Christian life. So in what specific way have you found this to be true in your own life? Well, I thought about that question. I thought, well, maybe the question should be, in what way have I found this to not be true Uh in my life? (laughs) Because um, I think for me personally, um, there's really been nothing like marriage and then especially children to rob me of the illusion that I can keep it together, do what needs to (laughs) be done. Um, Oh my Mm. goodness. Yes. Um, I think before um, both those two big events, I felt I knew all these truths and had probably experienced some about 
in different ways in my life, but generally I was able to do what needed to be done and to keep it together and feel spiritually in tune with the Lord. And, um, just especially now and mothering for small people and homeschooling, um, I just cannot, I hate that phrase, but I just can't <laughs> like without the spirit's power, I can see, um, the biggest difference in the world in how our morning goes and my ability to respond to my children's behavior and sin and deal with my own behavior and sin when I am just saying, Lord, I cannot do it. I just can't. <laughs> um, but I, I really need you. And I know that when I come helpless, he promises to come and give all that we need. So um, it doesn't, it's not like we've got magical um, flames of burning tongues on our heads, um, <laughs> although that would be nice. But it's, a, I mean, our whole, all of my children can probably tell you if you ask them in the moment, like there's a big difference when I say, oh goodness, this is more than I can handle. And would you help? I mean, sometimes I say it out loud to my child that's screaming or whatever behavior is going on and just pray like oh, Holy Spirit, you're here. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And can you please help me? <laughs> Is the, the question is for the whole of your mm-hmm. my Christian life. Like I need it's yeah. a big difference, but I just still try. I mean, I try sometimes to just look at my to do list and feel motivated, drink enough caffeine that morning, exercise enough, and now we can get it done. And it just mm-hmm. doesn't. It's it's real power mm-hmm. when you say I cannot, but the spirit's mm-hmm. in me, and it's the same one that raised Jesus from the dead. And all right, let's see you work. Yeah. That's so true. So similarly, I have to use examples from home because that is the way that I think the Lord sanctifies us the most. Oh, yes. Um, And the same thing. I have um, uh, someone who's just, you know, kind of been speaking into some of that for me in the last year. And um, I was wanting to respond differently than what my uh, uh, tendency was um, in this season of, of life. And she just looked at me one day and said, but you can, because you have the spirit. Mm-hmm. You can, you can do it differently. You have the spirit mm-hmm. within you. So and that doesn't mean I'm always going to do it well, right. or that I'm always going to be open to what God's spirit is trying to tell me, but just the empowerment that she gave me mm-hmm. in that moment to know that, no, I can change. Yeah. I can change and God can do something different. And he has, yeah. and he's been faithful to do that. So yeah. not all the time, but in a lot of ways he has. So similar to what you said, I had a count, my counselor one time say to me, like the fact, the reality that the spirit is in you working and acting and powerful is realer than real. She just sat there and looked at my eyes and said, it's realer than real. And I want you to remember that. Right. I was like, oh, but well, what could be realer than real? (laughs) That is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the flip side of that, I've also told my kids, when you see this difference in me, I want you to know that where that's coming yes, from. Yeah, yeah. That's not coming from me because you guys know what my yes. tendencies are. That's coming from the Lord in me. And so being able to tell that to them explicitly, mm-hmm. I think was really great. Yeah. Well, I love that combination of it's making a difference in your life and you're giving witness to the fact that it's not you having figured out some different mm-hmm. way to handle yourself right to handle life but it really is the spirit's work in you uh, because yeah. we didn't actually say this at the beginning of the podcast but the chunk of where we're drawing some of these questions from is acts 2 <laughs> uh, in acts 2 we're talking about the pentecost and how the spirit descends and they are doing they're speaking in languages they don't even right. know obviously right. do yes. something that right. they are not capable yes. of doing 
And everyone around them is saying, what is this that's going on? What is this that we see? How is this happening? So they're seeing this thing that people are doing that they could never do on their own. But not only just doing this sort of cool, miraculous thing, they're speaking about the wonders of God. Mm -hmm. So the people are saying, we're hearing God's wonder expressed Mm -hmm. in our own language in a way that we could hear and how the work of the spirit is to communicate, to make us witnesses Mm -hmm. of the great and wonderful works of the Lord. And so that's what he does with us, with our children. When we're different, when we change, when we give him credit, Mm -hmm. he is using his spirit to display his wonders. And you you think about that in terms of evangelism. The chunk of Acts chapter 2, 14 through 41 is Peter's sermon in front of all of these people. It's a very bold, yes. courageous, winsome, convicting, everything mm-hmm. sermon, because not only does he lay it out, this is the Jesus you crucified. Yes. He is very, so bold. Yeah, yeah, in front of yes. a large, massive yeah. crowd. When you think that there are people from every nation uh, surrounding him in a city that was already opposed to Jesus that crucified Jesus. Right. right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of boldness there to say you did this and Mm. he did this for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when they're convicted for him to say, repent and believe and all these blessings are showered down on you. And that that change of heart occurs through the work of the spirit. Yeah. I remember one time a friend of mine was going through a very hard time, doubting her faith, had thrown away every scriptural um, Mm. thing that she had, all of her books, all of her papers, all of her study, all of everything. She just was done with it. She was absolutely, utterly miserable because she was stuck with this thing that she really wanted in life that the Lord wouldn't allow. And it was this Mm -hmm. intense wrestling. And she just, you could just see it all over her face, her countenance. Mm. It was sad. It was depressed. It was And I just kept thinking, I can't think of the right thing to say. Mm. I can't think of the right argument. I can't think of the right thing to convince her. She was moving to go out of town. I remember we met at IHOP. And again, her whole countenance, what she was wearing, her her whole appearance just reflected her misery. And I was so uncomfortable that whole time because I thought, oh my gosh, do I have something to say? Anything Mm. to say? She's moving. She's going to leave. And I haven't been able to come up with anything. And I didn't say anything great that day at Mm. all. And yet Mm. she moved and the Lord did some things in her life and really opened her eyes and set her free and renewed her. And she points back to that time I have of being one of the ways that the Lord used to change her Mm. life. And I'm telling you, I was so uncomfortable and so aware of my ignorance and so left there thinking Mm. I'm such a failure. And you think, no, the spirit, the Mm -hmm. spirit is using all sorts of things. And so it's encouraging. And that's just very encouragement as we go into Acts is to say it is Jesus. All that Jesus began to Mm -hmm. do, he is continuing to do. He is sending forth the kingdom unhindered and we get to be a part of it. Amen. Amen. With that amazing note of encouragement, we hope you will join us again next week. Let us snuggle with you by the fire. Mary and Katie will be joining us again to talk about Acts chapters three and five and the redemption Jesus offers to our bodies and souls. (laughs) If you want to see their pretty faces, check out our women's Facebook page at Women's Bible Study FPCA or find us on Instagram at First Pres Augusta Women. Hope you listen in.